This is Consider Anew, the weekly micro-podcast that invites you to discover something new or see a familiar thing in a new way. This season, I'll be joined by co-host Dr. Jane Shore, the brilliant head of research and innovation at School of Thought. Michael, thank you for sharing this amazing platform with us. School of Thought is on a mission to amplify innovative work, build resources, and connect innovators and innovation and education. We do this through the School of Thought blog, gatherings, and now this podcast. On each episode this season, we'll speak with guests from all over the world, explore thought-provoking topics, and share ideas you can take and make usable in your world. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Crawford. And I'm this season's co-host, Dr. Jane Shore. Welcome. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, Michael. How are uh, you? I am doing well. I've been trying to get a little bit more sleep lately, trying to get on my sleep game. Uh, mm. And so I, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling pretty good, feeling refreshed. How are well you rested? doing today? Yeah, I think so. That's good. It's yeah. fall. It's fall. And I feel like fall mm-hmm. is good sleeping weather, um, although it's still a warm in Philly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love fall. I think it's like 60s something here. I mean, I have a sweater on, so it's uh, I, I, yeah, I like fall as well. I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate pants and longer <laughs> shirts. Uh, it's yeah. just like, I, I don't know, uh, not yeah. a coat necessarily, but also not, I don't want to like sweat through all my clothes. So, uh, yeah. it's a good, it's a good temperature. Yes. Um, so what do we got going? We had the first gathering. Was it last week? Two weeks amazing. ago? Last week. Yeah. How'd that it- go? Well, it was amazing. And also it's so funny. Time is so fluid lately. Was it last week? Was it two weeks ago? It was just last week. It wasn't even a week ago. Um, It was wonderful. And we talked about catalyzing change, which is the topic of this podcast as well. We're in that conversation around the kinds of things that present themselves as opportunities in education. And Aaron, Rob, and um, Jawaria, Jawa, and... uh, Jose Perez shared their views in the work that they're doing around catalyzing change. It's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see how these gatherings unfold uh, over the next several months. I know you've got them uh, on the books throughout this entire school year, which is really cool. Um, the The next one will be in October. I think the 14th. Is that mm-hmm. sound right? The next one is on the October 14th, and this is through PAIS, the Pennsylvania Association of Independent Schools, and um, they're called Community of Thought Gathering. It's a school of thought program, which means that the intention is to amplify the great work of others, to build resources, and to connect us to ideas and people, ABC. Cool. And um, the next one is on October 14th, and it is on a, a current topic that I feel like we're all talking about, uh, grading. And, and what yeah. it means, meaningful measurement. So October 14th. That's awesome. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah, and the, uh, the link to register, sign up for that gathering will be in the show notes and you can learn more about um, past gatherings, future gatherings, uh, and a bunch of the other work that that School of Thought is doing, mm-hmm. that PACEPA is doing. Uh, and so um, we will put that there as well. Um, any other updates or uh uh, things to share on your end? Anything coming up? I don't think so. We're looking forward to the future gathering and we're going to have associated 
materials, like we have a blog post coming out that relates to that, um, related to really the, the intention is crowdsourcing a little. It's really co-creating this change, the path for change in education. So those are the things that are coming up. It's really cool. Um, in this podcast episode right here, uh, we got to talk to a pal of yours, Mike yeah. Pardee. Mike Pardee, uh, yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, not to be confused with Mike Pardee. Uh, this is Mike Pardee. That's different. Right. Different guy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was really excited to to hear from Mike. I know he has done, I know he had done a lot of really innovative and creative work. I didn't know the specifics and he um, got into a bit of detail with his past launching Lab Atlanta, which sounds uh, like an amazing um, an amazing opportunity that I wish I would have had as a 10th grader or as a anything grader. And I, <laughs> I am trying to figure out how to learn from that model and bring it to the district that I'm in and figure out how to spread this idea. It almost sounds like an, like an externship almost of like yeah. a, you know, a semester, not abroad, but yeah. a semester away kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's very much like a semester abroad or whatever it would be. It's, it's a, an opportunity to do school differently in 10th grade, which was really beneficial as a teammate on our current team at Revolution School to have had that experience of, of jumping in. One of the things that feels really relevant in today's conversation around education change is that we have a lot of different things we want to do. And there are pockets of innovation so many places in, in, in schools that maybe look more traditional. But really getting out there and starting something new is, it's multi-layered, it's challenging, um, and it's a little scary. I, I, I was, um, to prepare for today, I, I was looking up some of the, um, the notes that I had taken in starting school, and I found this advertisement it was actually in USA Today, um, and it was an advertisement for starting a school which I thought was really interesting, but I'm not going to read the entire advertisement. It was really like, do you have a love for education? Learning to open a school could be the thing. <laughs> but one of the things, I mean, one of the things it said is, um, since learning how to open a school is a bit like lassoing the moon, we'd like to provide you with a bit of an overview. And it was an advertisement for, um, you know, starting a school in, in, this, in this time. But that uh, that that sort of metaphor that is is that a metaphor lassoing the moon something like that or maybe uh <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's a metaphor it might just be like well maybe it is maybe an image um wow. i mean i that certainly conveys the challenge uh of doing it yeah. I, uh i mean that's that makes it seem like it's impossible or unlikely or you yeah. know gonna need uh, you know, a hundred years of lasso innovation in order to make it happen. And we, you know, we, ha we've seen examples of schools that have emerged from, you know, existing schools, schools that have been kind of transformed from after school programs, you know, the, the work that you're doing, obviously at revolution school, like there's, there are real examples. And yes, of course it is challenging and difficult. Mike talks about that a bit. You've shared that, uh, you know, a bit throughout, uh, throughout our conversations. And so it's, it's definitely challenging. That's totally true. And it's doable and yep. it is doable and not only doable, but worth it. Um, I think for, um, for adults, for young people, for communities that are looking to find 
a better way to serve young people, to serve the future, to serve the community. Um, and again, I think Revolution School is a great example uh, of, of kind of that work in motion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is positive work happening everywhere. So there are challenges, absolutely. I don't know if I would represent it as lassoing the moon, but I, I love the image of just recognizing that it is it is something that sometimes feels far away and hard, but we can do it. And a lot of it really comes down to recognizing the humanity in the pedagogy that we can forge forward, um, connecting with students and what they need right now in, in this time, maybe not in the time that school was first imagined, which maybe is the framework for some more traditional places. And also recognizing there's a spectrum of solutions and some of those traditional places have things we really wanna hold on to. So when we're looking to change school, there are a variety of ways and they depend on the individuals we're serving, the settings we're serving. They depend on you know, the sustainability of the model sometimes as well. But I think if something is really working well, um, people will take notice and you know, that's what we're forging forward with. Yeah, yeah I think there's something about uh, when things work uh, in this kind of way that there's a, there's a resonance, like people can kind of feel it. Like you feel different when you're seen, you feel different when, you know, an activity or a exercise or a program allows you to um, not have to kind of bend or, or manifest something that you're not. Uh, you mentioned kind of humanizing or humanistic pedagogy. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about um, there's a psychologist, an author, Scott Barry Kaufman, who mm-hmm. recently wrote a book called Transcend, where he he talks about some of these kind of human elements. Like what are the, the key yeah. pieces of, you know, he uses a sailboat metaphor. What are the key pieces that kind of ground us and keep us safe and also then allow us to, to pursue, you know, high heights essentially. And, yeah. um, you know, we had a, I had a conversation with him, I don't know, a number of months ago and he, we were talking about education and he, kind of hinted at potentially writing, you know, almost like a humanist education psychology book. And I uh, would love to read that from him, but I think that's, that's the kind of direction that school would benefit from going. I think people would benefit from going in that direction as well. And again, you know, revolution school to me feels like it is incorporating so many of these elements that allow for our humanity to be seen, appreciated, uh, you know, held up, et cetera. And so again, always appreciate what you're up to. And Mike today, you know, um, was a, sort of a perfect example of, uh, the kinds of what he called staffalty staff faculty, yeah. um, who are at your school, who are working with young people and trying to make this happen. So just really absolutely. cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Mike, Mike is such a, um, he, um, frequently quotes from a poem that maybe we can share that has to do with, um, being of use, you know, loving the um, camaraderie that happens when you're around people that really recognize that jumping in and doing is the way, is the way, you know, of course. And um, he has recently taken a role as director of program at Revolution and really provided a lot of structure around the ways in which program is being iterated while still allowing it to be iterated upon you know, so I think that there are these, the balance that needs to happen. It needs to be, there's a structure, 
and there's a fast prototyping so that we can really yeah. figure out how we serve the people that we are working with. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Again, he seems like a great person for that, that task, essentially that role. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Well, yeah. should we jump in? Yes. All right. Let's, let's do, do it. it. I'll see you there. Okay. Jane, Mike, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Wonderful. Thanks, Mike, for being here. Jane, always good to see you. Uh, We are excited to talk to you, Mike Pardee. Thanks for your time and for your impending wisdom. Uh, For the folks who may not uh, know a ton about your background, do you mind uh, introducing yourself? sharing your name, uh, your connection to education, where you're from, uh, and what it is that you do. Sure. Um, thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So my name is uh, Mike Pardee. I am uh, a humanities, especially English or literature teacher and the program director at Revolution School in Philadelphia. Um, and I have just been in lots of sort of uh, six degrees of separation off the norm educational ventures for a long time having started in more traditional roles and um, so i tend to be attracted to places like this that are um, committed to doing things better and differently yeah um i want to follow up on that because mike is is mod is humble in his um introduction and i um you know to be transparent Mike and I worked together at Revolution, and um, we uh, started connecting, I think it was last summer, in the middle of the pandemic, and hadn't met um, for more than, I feel like it was six months before we actually got to meet in person, because this, the strangeness of this, this time in, in the world, and also in the start of a school. Yeah. Um, and, and Mike, when we first met, was in Atlanta. So I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, that path, how you're, mm-hmm. um, you know, came to joining, how did you arrive at Revolution, and, and your origin story, your revolution origin story. Yes. Well, I think the most um, salient connection that, that brought me to a place like Revolution was uh, my effort with some other educators to launch an innovative semester school program that was uh, very place-based and civically engaged and design-minded in Atlanta um, that had deep design thinking roots and it was called Lab Atlanta and um, it was designed as a semester school program for 10th graders either in the fall or spring semester, they would leave their home high school, uh, wherever that was, and um, spend a semester doing transdisciplinary and place-based and civically engaged and design-minded learning. And uh, because we were sending kids back to the school from which they came, there were certain constraints on the kind of program that we could offer. But pedagogically, it was uh, very akin to revolution. So um, unfortunately, Lab Atlanta exhausted its seed funding and proved to be financially unsustainable. So at that point, I was looking around for, but, but the model itself was extremely successful. So I was looking around, ha- having had that taste of success um, and having 
the Atlanta public school system was a big supporter, as was Georgia State University, Georgia Tech. We were just forging great, um, meaningful alliances, um, but uh, the, the problem was funding. So I was looking for places with um, similar pedagogical and philosophical assumptions and found revolution. And um, I don't know if it was a mutual courtship. I was certainly <laughs> circling, uh, looking, hoping, and then had an opportunity to join the team here. So, Yeah, um, it was definitely mutual. I, I, I feel like we were, um, you know, there was so much resonance in the ways in which we were thinking about education. And mm -hmm. um, to speak to what you were just saying, I think, you know, one of the things that um, I would represent Revolution has found is there are layers of opportunity, but there are also layers of, of challenge when you're trying to forge um, ahead and change in education. And we talked about this. I, I'm going to ask in the way that we had originally, um, you know, worded it, but feel free to lean in. I, I in your um, words, how do you think Revolution is catalyzing change in education? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there are maybe, um, there's a couple of aspects to that. Um, a long, long time ago, I think uh, a guy named E.F. Schumacher wrote a book called Small is Beautiful. And I think if one is going to embark on significant educational innovation, um, it's easier to start small and scale up. And so um, I think the intimacy and the extent to which we, we use the word staffalty, which is a hybrid of faculty and staff. Um, the staffalty can know each other and murmurate like starlings do. And we can know the students well, and we can collaborate, I think, more effectively because we are lean and nimble than um, bigger institutions uh, tend to do. Um, I love our our mission or motto about breaking down the walls between learning and life and um, striving to keep uh, the curricular stuff that we are doing as relevant and purposeful in terms of meeting students where they are and trying to connect the learning to the to the things that they're doing in life. And then we also um, have uh, coincidentally these Jedi core values of um, paying a lot of attention to joyful learning, empowering our students, um, diversity among our student body, and also among the uh, approaches in certain uh, extent that the faculty take pedagogically. And finally, integrated learning, which at Revolution means doing things transdisciplinarily, not, not uh, being beholden to the disciplinary silos that are the tradition at many schools. and. Um, uh, mixing and matching and finding ways to uh, interpenetrate and collaborate between different disciplines, but always with a connection to the real world outside of um, our classroom walls. That's awesome. Mike, uh, it sounds like you have been uh, mindful of or intentional about creating uh, and working with organizations, schools, et cetera, that, that are different from the traditional, different yes. from the current status quo. Can you just talk briefly about where that came from? Uh, you yes. know, was it, did you 
Did you attend uh, a, a, you know, an alternative uh, school pathway <laughs> when you were younger? Did mm-hmm. you, you know, what did you read yeah. some books? Did you go on a walkabout? Like how, how did you, how did you come to wow. uh, seeking out this kind of, um, you know, diversity in approach? That's um, a, a pretty existential question, but so I'll try to um, jump quickly to it. I would say that my education was fairly traditional and conventional. Um, I went to an excellent Quaker school, Wilmington Friends School in Delaware, um, for most of my high school, um, uh, for all of my high school, and um, starting in, in sixth grade, really all the way through 12. Um, and I had, uh, you know, a pretty conventional liberal arts education as an English major. Um, I became a teacher right out of college. Um, but I also went back to graduate school in a doctoral program in an American studies because I do have a scholarly itch. But what I found after year seven, when I had taken this, when I um, chose a dissertation topic about autobiographies written in the third person in late 19th century America. <laughs> and, you know, I think there are like three or four or five of them. And so maybe I could create this magnum opus that would have so little impact on the world or significance that I ended up um, uh, ending my uh, doctoral studies as an all but dissertation um, person because I wanted to be back in schools with students and in the real world. And um, went back into another, you know, fairly conventional, traditional boarding school that was on the innovative end of the spectrum, but really wasn't that much engaged with the world beyond the walls of the classroom. And sort of ever since um, I did another year at at Columbia Teachers College, um, I'm just trying to discover ways to make education uh, more purposeful and relevant and prepare kids better for the 21st century, because I think there were aspects of the ways in which I was schooled that better prepared me for the 19th or 20th uh, centuries at best. So um, I just think that, uh, you know, I had, I I, I do have academic and intellectual interests, but they're only half the equation. And um, I think there can be something insular about academic programs that are too focused on, you know, literature alone in the absence of connections with the real world. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, uh, I guess two things. One, you did a, a version of, you know, sort of trial by fire, jumping into deep uh, academic work and realizing that perhaps uh, it's too far away from the real world for it to uh, make the kind of impact that maybe you had hoped it would make. And you sort of learn by saying, you know, this is this depth. Uh, it serves a purpose perhaps, but isn't necessarily where you want to be. And then two, it seems like at revolution school. And if, you know, uh, if you know your colleague Jane well enough, you know that she cares deeply about research and about figuring out yes, yes. Uh, learning and yes. understanding and application. And so it seems like you're in a pretty good spot, yes. uh, a pretty good spot with that, which is great. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, you've been, you, you have been in grad schools, you obviously had your own primary secondary experience, you've taught, you've started schools. What would, what's one thing that you thought that you knew about learning or you thought that you knew about school uh, that now kind of reflecting or, or thinking back on, you know, maybe you had it wrong 
or, or maybe you see something a different way. Yeah. I guess my biggest realization, it, it's just a reminder that um, startup ventures are extremely challenging to launch. Um, you know, that we, it's, it's, it's easier to have a compelling vision or an aspiration or a rationale or a mission executing on that um, when, when, we're, when we're dealing with humans with all our quirks and backgrounds and so forth. Um, I just am finding the whole enterprise humbling and challenging in ways that I maybe didn't um, fully uh, anticipate. The rewards are that, um, you know, our, I, I was at Lab Atlanta a while ago, so um, students that we worked with as 10th graders there are now entering college. And so they, they have that time to look back and reflect. And, and some have said that, that that one semester changed their educational trajectory mm -hmm. because they returned to their home school transformed in certain ways. And um, that is my sincere hope um, that the same will be true for the students that will graduate from Revolution. And we really only have our first 12th grader this year. And um, I would love it if, um, as he moves on to, to college and beyond, um, to hear what his reflections are looking back on what impact his three years at Revolution may have had in terms of perhaps changing or transforming his um, educational and lifelong trajectory. Yeah. I, I, I want to say amen to all the things, amen in a non-religious way, I'm not, <laughs> if you can, um, to all the things you just said, the, the, the challenges, the opportunities in a startup. Um, we're nimble, but it's all about, in, and I think, Mike, you are really all about iterating, fast prototyping, really figuring yes. things out as we go. Um, and, um, you know, I think one of the things the young people in our last podcast talked about is, you know, there's so many things that are happening right now that we really don't know the outcomes of. And there's such opportunity for the students. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what our senior and our juniors and our one sophomore and, you know, how this all plays out. Mm -hmm. um, but um, one last question, and you might have already hit on it, but I wonder if there's some articulation, not just in the experiences you've had in startups at Lab Atlanta and Revolution, but you've also had experiences in, in other settings in sort of like interfaith understandings and character mm -hmm. development. And I wonder if there are some major threads or lessons that are usable, that are um, that you might want listeners to leave knowing, sort of like the takeaways from your experiences in education? Yeah. Well, um, one possible answer to a question like that is um, a, a reflection and observation I have about the importance of feedback and responding constructively to it. Mm. I think it's important that we have open communication channels in which to solicit and exchange feedback um, but I think there's a bit of an art and perhaps a science to, to learning and knowing how to filter the feedback to know um, what to attend to immediately, what to defer, and what to, um, to not overreact to as one keeps one's eye on a given prize. Um, our head of school often talks about the difference between um, students or parents or faculty having voice versus votes. And I think that having voice is always important, 
but I think there might be times that um, not everyone can have a vote. Mm -hmm. And I guess Thoreau, I used to live in Concord and I kind of dig Henry David Thoreau and he was uh, big on talking about how majority rules is not always in the best interest of a given cause or whatever. And um, I think we just need to keep the students at the center of all our deliberations and um, just know when the feedback that they or others give is really in their best interest or just about convenience or, I don't know, I'm getting the, the analogy of separating wheat from the chaff or, or, or threshing, you know, to, to sort the, um, the good from the bad when um, a, a culture of feedback is important to create, but um, sifting through it, I think, is an important priority as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, it has me thinking about, uh, it, it seems like such an important skill uh, or kind of mindset or approach um, to information, to communication, feedback. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the ability not only with feedback, like you said, but with, you know, fake news and media and trying mm -hmm. to kind of parse, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it could it, a long time ago, it was it was likely the case that there was not a lot of information or sort of too, too little information. And now it's the case that there is too much information. And so the work yeah. changes from, uh, you know, kind of seeking and finding the, the right information at the beginning to now having to kind of uh, parse and like you said, yeah. okay. identify what is actionable and valuable. So uh, I appreciate my, that. My, uh, my friends, Jane made a quick reference. I did do some, uh, spent some time in the interfaith space and um, my clergy friends would talk about discernment, the importance of discernment. It's a great word. It's a bit of a term of art, but um, I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you, Mike. I want to switch gears real quick. We enjoy having fun with folks in what we call our lightning round. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are a few quick questions, and we're looking for uh, a few quick answers. So yeah. a sentence or two, a word, uh, whatever comes to mind. Um, I'll kick it off with our first question. What's a book or podcast that you would recommend to listeners right now? I got a book. Metas and Fine's book in search of deeper learning. Mm -hmm. um, can't recommend that one highly enough. Good and I'm also uh, a big fan of Jennifer Gonzalez's Cult of Pedagogy podcast and all the other things that she puts out. Super practical. Mm -hmm. And we're so excited she's going to be coming on the podcast. So awesome. we're looking forward to that too. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so um, I've got a question. I think this is a harder question <laughs> a little bit. Um, what is something you believe, but not a lot of people agree with? I guess I'm contrarian enough that I'm going to slightly change the question to say, <laughs> I believe, I believe that a lot of people believe and agree that significant educational reforms are needed. I think a lot of people bemoan um, the 19th and 20th century vestiges and aspects of education as it's currently offered. I just don't believe that that many are willing to act on the reform and innovation yeah. efforts. So, um, I, I, yeah, I think there is, I think there is a lot of agreement that things are uh, not necessarily serving our students, but I think some people are just content to stay with the inertia of tradition and history um, rather than, um, set out on a different path. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love inertia as a, uh, a word that comes up for me a lot. So I, I, uh, 
I think that's, I think you're onto something. Like, yeah. uh, last, last question for the lightning round. Yes. What is one question that you're chewing on these days? What's one question you're, you're it's, tossing around in your mind? It's how to make educational innovation more sustainable. Um, my experience is that highly innovative programs tend to be relatively under-resourced compared to more established models. And um, I think that unlevels the playing field in a way that, that doesn't serve uh, students and you know the educational world writ large best. So mm -hmm. it makes me think, Mike. Um, we were really bold um, when the founders named the school revolution, but what what does a revolution look like in education? It it um, it requires sort of that collective understanding of change and a support in a sustainable way. So um, we will see. Yeah. And, and it requires, again, I'm going back to that image. And, and if, if listeners haven't uh, looked at videos of starling murmurating, starlings murmurating, they should. But if, if an organization is small and nimble uh, and, and perhaps frisky, it can change direction as the, as the circumstances warrant. Um, it's not to say that geese flying in formation in a certain direction aren't also valuable in certain contexts, but, um, but keeping uh, the resources, making sure there are uh, sufficient resources for schools to murmurate, I think is, is an issue. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Mike, I think we did it. Uh, <laughs> appreciate. I knew, I knew, I knew that uh, you'd have interesting insights uh and interesting things to say and uh and i think you did it so i appreciate you and uh all that you have shared today and your time certainly uh we'll put your uh all the mentions book podcast uh lab atlanta uh, notes all of that will be in the show notes and so people who Great. are uh, interested in diving in and learning learning more will be able to find stuff there um, and for you, where, if people have questions for you specifically, where is the best place for them to find you, uh, website, uh, social media, email, what's the best way to get you? I would say um, the uh, Mike at revolutionschool.org is the um, email. I am not um, super active with um, social media, so I would say old-fashioned email. That, that may be dates or ages me, but Mike at revolutionschool.org is... And, and we have a nice website, Revolution School, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. Find me there. Yeah. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you sure. also. You know, we've, all, we've been so many conversations about the change, but you um, continue to iterate upon the language and the way we're doing things. And I'm very grateful. So, yeah. Well, um, thank you both. This was um, <laughs> fun and interesting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Take care. Bye. 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 That wraps this episode of Consider Anew. Check out the show notes for links and other details. If you liked what you heard and you're willing to help the podcast out, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if there's someone in your world who you think might appreciate this episode, do them a favor and send it their way. Thanks to Michael Lipset of Pastel Stories. And thanks, Jane, for joining me. Thanks, Michael, for having me and for collaborating with School of Thought. And thanks to you, listener, for tuning in. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So say hello on Twitter. I'm at Shore Jane Shore. And check out our blog, School of Thought, 
www.substack.com, where we make big ideas usable. I'm at MJ Craw on Twitter, and I'd love to connect at MJCraw.com. And until next time, consider anew. Thank you.